Welcome, and a big welcome to you if you are visiting. We are in the middle of a series uh, with these sermons where we're looking at the life of a character called Joseph, who uh, we know from the Old Testament. I mean, a number of us might be familiar with Joseph through the musical. I'm quite interested, just by way of show of hands, actually. Who at any point in their lives has seen the musical Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? A lot. Well, I've missed my big moment, actually, because today we're looking at Pharaoh's dream. And so I had this big number worked out with Pharaoh being Elvis and so on. But I didn't do that because I thought not enough people would have seen the musicals. Oh, oh, I wasn't going to do that. I was never going to do that. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're with Joseph at the moment. Joseph is in Egypt. He's in prison. And I'll recap very briefly the story so far. But at the moment, he's in Egypt. He's in prison. I've been to Egypt. I don't know if any of you have been to Egypt. I went there when I was in my early 20s with my brother. And uh, it was a great place, really exciting. I think my favourite uh, place was the pyramids, the pyramids uh, in Giza. Now, up on the screen here, in a couple of slides' time, we'll see a picture. Shortly, we might see a picture um, of a, a tower block called Centrepoint. Centrepoint is not in Egypt. Centrepoint is at the intersection of Oxford Street and Tottenham Court Road. But Centrepoint happens to be the height of the biggest pyramid, uh, the pyramid, the Great Pyramid of Cheops. Uh, we will see shortly behind me. It's a very impressive sight. You can imagine it. They're kind of triangular-shaped. <laughs> and um, so I was with my brother. We went to look at the pyramids. And being in our early 20s, we saw this thing in our guidebook that said, each year, several people die trying to climb the pyramids. Now, me now, I, I read that and I think, I won't try and climb the pyramids. But then I thought, you can climb the pyramids. <laughs> so we tried to climb the pyramid, the Great Pyramid of Cheops. And uh, the blocks that it's made of are sort of chest height. And uh, it's like a big staircase. That's the one. <laughs> this is not in Egypt. This is in London. But I've photoshopped it very cleverly. I know you probably can't tell <laughs> to make it seem as if it's in Egypt, to give you a sense of scale. So me and my brother, we climbed this middle pyramid. Well, it's not a, there aren't three pyramids, just to emphasize. There are two pyramids. So it's not the middle pyramid, but it's a pyramid. We climbed that pyramid. We got about halfway up. As I say, each block of stone it's made from is about chest height. And the wind's whistling through our hair. And I say, I'm the older brother. I say to Simon, we must go down now because this is very frightening. And Simon says, all right, I'll see you later. So I, I was frozen. With, I went down because I was literally frozen with, with fear. Um, got down to the bottom of this pyramid. It takes ages. It's about a 20-minute climb to get to the top because they're so tall. And um, at the base of the pyramid, it's so tall that you can't see the top of it when you're standing at the base. So I had to walk ages back till I could see him at the top, a tiny little figure. And to my intense irritation, he's kind of going like this at me. <laughs> so being the elder brother, I thought, I'm not ha you know, I can't live this down. It's not going to be uh, any good for my reputation. So I, I am going to climb that pyramid. I also, at the back of my mind, had the idea that maybe it'll be a good intro to a sermon at some point in the future. <laughs> you just don't know these things, do you? So I thought, I'm going to climb that pyramid. So at a run... I get to the base of the pyramid, and I climb, and I climb, and I climb, and I climb, and I get to the top. So there we both are at the top, and it's actually a really interesting thing to do, because it's got sort of Victorian graffiti carved in the top of the pyramid stone. Wilberforce Smith was here, 1846, and, and you get amazing views of, of Cairo, as you could imagine. But the other amazing thing is that these pyramids are so old that they were there when Joseph was there. So Joseph would have seen these pyramids. They're very evident on the skyline. They're, they're so huge. So 
we can, anyone who's been there and has seen the pyramids, you can quite legitimately claim to have seen something that Joseph himself would have seen. So, so what's happened to Joseph so far? We met him a few weeks ago, didn't we? He was a teenager, for those of us that have been here for this series so far. He was a teenager, quite, quite obnoxious. Uh, I don't think he was doing it deliberately. I think it was just the way he was. He was the youngest, one of the youngest of 12 brothers. His father, Jacob, loved him more than the others. And of course, that irritated the rest of his siblings hugely. And Joseph didn't help the situation when, for example, he has dreams explaining to him that he will become extremely successful and that his brothers will all bow down to him. He's not shy at sharing this kind of thing with them. And this irritates him even more. To cut a long story short, they end up selling him into slavery. He gets taken to Egypt as a slave, rapidly works his way up in the household of the governor, the sort of head of the army, if you like, Pharaoh's army, uh, and at, just at the point where he's at the kind of pinnacle of his career so far, through no fault of his own, gets put into prison, which is where we find him today. And while he's in prison, a couple of other people with him in, in the jail cell have dreams, and he's able to interpret their dreams for them. Uh, and One of them has a, a quite a sad dream, which Joseph correctly interprets, meaning that this fellow will die, which is what happens. But the other person, who is Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, has a dream which Joseph interprets and tells him, you will be restored to your, to your role, which is exactly what happens. And Joseph says to him on the way out, please remember me, because of course Joseph now sees this as his, his ticket out of there. And that's where we are now. We'll, we'll read now, uh, if we just flick ahead one, we'll read uh, from Genesis chapter 41. And two years have gone by since the chief cupbearer was, uh, was released. And as far as Joseph's concerned, nothing's happened. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed and awoke, and in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Now, you can see from the screen, I'm, I'm missing out certain bits simply because they're not relevant to our narrative today. So where I've got dot, 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 I've missed out those. But I'm not talking about his dream, for example. I'm just going to talk about uh, Joseph's interpretation. So forgive me until it's up on the screen. That's not going to be apparent if you are following it in your Bibles. So after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed and awoke, and in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us. He interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, 
and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and let them store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are about to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. Now this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. So that's quite an amazing account of a sudden sort of rags-to-riches rags riches story in Joseph's life. And I suppose to put it in a modern-day context, it's almost as if, well, it, is, it is as if a prisoner was released today from jail and went straight to be an advisor to a senior politician, Jeremy Corbyn or David Cameron, someone like that. It would be quite scandalous, really. But even more so, I think, even more amazing than the sort of rags-to-riches features of Joseph's story is, is the way he uses his gifts. He's really changed as a person since we met him initially. When we first met him, as I said, he was a bit of an irritant to his brothers, naive, if you will, in the way he explained the dreams that he had to them. But now Joseph seems very skillful in his interaction, his interaction with Pharaoh and his use of the gifts that God has given him. So how is that possible? What's happened to Joseph? Now, God gives all of us gifts, and Joseph has learned how to use his really well, just as we also need to learn how to use ours. So I would say, as a result of the hardships that God has put him through, three things have emerged in Joseph. He knows where his gifts come from, both supernatural dream interpretation and his natural gift of being able to suggest a solution to Pharaoh, to Pharaoh's problems. So he knows where his gifts come from. He understands how to combine both his natural and his supernatural gifts. And thirdly, he knows what his gifts are for. So if we call the title of this today, God gives his people gifts and we need to learn how to use them. God gives his people gifts and we need to learn how to use them. Then we can see very clearly in Joseph's life exactly how he does that. So as I said, he knows where his gifts come from and we need to do the same. He understands how to combine his supernatural and his natural gifts, and we need to do the same. And he knows what his gifts are for, and we also need to do the same. So let's look first of all at the, 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 the concept that you know, Joseph knows where his gifts come from. As I said, he does seem to have changed somewhat as he's, as he's matured and grown up. And of course, recognizing the source of our gifts is, very important, is a very important part of knowing who we are. You know, why is it that we can do certain things? Sometimes we end up mistakenly thinking it's, it's to do with us, when actually it's to do with our position. It might be a job we've got or a role that we perform. And I mentioned those politicians earlier. But um, I think one of the things in our culture with the democratic process is that a politician can be taken out of office at very short notice, and that can be very, very difficult for them if they've grown to believe that it's some innate characteristic in themselves that, that means the media is so keen to hear their every word. So just one more slide, and then we'll be on, on point one, which is that Joseph knows where his gifts come from. And I would say the best example of, of this kind of democratic process suddenly taking someone out of public life would be Winston Churchill. During the war, of course, great war leader, right up to 1945, really involved in the negotiations for the post-war peace settlement, and suddenly we, the British people, voted him out. 
and Clement Attlee took over. Now, for Churchill, that was a complete, you know, a complete change of life, a complete change of expectations. More recently, um, we've seen people like Nick Clegg leaving office, still MP, but no longer Deputy Prime Minister, or Ed Balls, who was the Shadow Chancellor, even losing his seat really unexpectedly. And I think it must be very difficult to make that transition where you've, when you've been in a position of, of influence or authority, with the media courting your every word, suddenly to find that people are no longer interested in what you have to say. And for Joseph, it must have been very tempting to use Pharaoh's sudden enthusiasm for him to kind of say, right, I will be your chief dream interpreter. That's me. That's what I do. I'm that kind of guy. You know, give me a nice suit. Give me a comfy chair. I'll just sit here and when people have dreams, I'll interpret them for them because it's me doing it. It's very, very dangerous to get into that position. And Joseph does not do that. Straight away, he acknowledges the source of his gifts. When Pharaoh says, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it, Joseph answered to Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph says that God has given him the ability to interpret dreams. And we know that God gives us gifts because he says he does in the New Testament. For example, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor that he writes to, he says to him, fan into flame the gift of God. So it's evident that what God gives us are gifts. They're not given to us as rewards. And Joseph knows that it all depends on God, not his own abilities. And of course, ultimately, everything comes from God. And recognizing where our gifts and our, our sense of self-worth comes from really helps when situations change. If we are relying on our circumstances or our job to give us a sense of meaning, then when those circumstances change, it can be really difficult to adjust. Whereas God never changes. God always has our best interests at heart. And that's something you see very clearly in the life of Joseph. He's really nailed that one. This is God doing this. It's not me, it's God. And because God never changes, that foundation to our life never changes. And that's a great place to be. So if we just flick on one further, let's look at Joseph's ability now to combine his gifts. He understands where they're coming from. He understands that it's God that gives him these gifts. And he's very adept at combining both the supernatural gifts that God's given him and the natural gifts that God has given him. So as well as acknowledging God as the source of his supernatural gifts, Joseph also uses his, his natural God-given gift to suggest a solution to Pharaoh's problem where he says, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities. So Joseph has done an excellent job in combining the interpretation of the dream that God has given him with a sort of strategic insight which he brings immediately to Pharaoh's attention. So let's split those two types of gifts out. Let's look first at supernatural gifts, and then let's look at the natural gifts, both of which come from God. And God has given Joseph a supernatural gift of interpreting dreams. And God still gives us supernatural gifts now. In the New Testament, there are several lists of spiritual gifts for us to, to read through and, and, and look at. Um, and they, they fall into various categories. There are gifts like healing, miracles, speaking in other languages or tongues, interpretation of tongues. And then there are several gifts which are grouped around the theme of knowing something that you didn't previously know. And those would include gifts of knowledge, uh, gifts of wisdom, and prophecy. And in some senses, 
they all have a common theme, along with dream interpretation. And the theme is that God has told you something. God has said something to you through a number of different means. And then you have said something, either to yourself, if it's a word for you, or to other people. And I just want to develop that thought a little further, because I found it very helpful to just sort of split prophecy into its component parts, because sometimes the word prophecy can be quite, quite alarming. Uh, and yet it is the gift that Paul encourages us all most earnestly to seek. So what is prophecy? And I do want to dwell on this for a little while, because I think it's important for us as a church. We believe that God is real and alive and with us. And so, of course, it's to be expected that he would communicate directly with us, as well as through the Bible. So how exactly does God speak to his people? In the Bible, there are endless examples of God speaking to Israel, his people Israel, through prophets. But even in the Bible, God speaks in different ways to different people. So the different prophets he engaged with would have received what God had to say to them in different ways. For example, in the book of Numbers, God says, When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams, and I guess other ways too. But this is not true of my servant Moses. With him I speak face to face. So there God has identified three ways already, you know, dreams, visions, kind of face-to-face, audible uh, voice. So clearly there's a variety of ways that God uses to, to communicate with us. And a book I found very useful recently, if we just flick on one more slide, is, is this book, which is called uh, Prophetic Evangelism by an author called Mark Stibbe. And what he's done over many years is develop his, his gift of, of prophecy and has now written this book showing how developing a gift of prophecy is an excellent way to win people for Jesus. If God is speaking to you and telling you things which you can then bring to the attention of someone that doesn't know God, it's a very powerful way to start a conversation with them. The book isn't all about that, but that's its major theme. But I have found a number of very helpful passages in the book. At one point, the author says, God uses visions, dreams, impressions and thoughts, Bible verses and things around us to get our attention. God may use divine or angelic visitations and other means in addition to these. The key thing is to be open to receiving prophetic revelation and then when it comes to weigh and test what one receives. So if you like, part one of prophecy is receiving something from God, even something really small or seemingly insignificant. There's another passage in here where he has an example of that. A lot of the examples in here are quite mind-blowing, but I thought I'd want to start, start small and grow. So this, is, I thought, was a very encouraging uh, little example he gives. Uh, there's no doubt that God speaks directly into the lives of, of believers and underbelievers through impressions and thoughts. This can come in all sorts of different ways. For example, a young man who wasn't a Christian was watching an episode of the TV show The Simpsons, and he saw Bart Simpson praying that God would make it possible for him not to go to school the next day. As this non-Christian man watched, Bart, uh, as he watched Bart praying, he had the strongest impression that God was talking to him about the fact that he never, ever prayed. This challenged him. And the next day, he was travelling on the bus to work, as he always did, and he went past a church which had an advertisement on the side of it for an evangelistic meeting for people seeking God. He went to that meeting and gave his life to Jesus. So a really tiny thing there, just someone watching The Simpsons, suddenly starting to feel God speaking to them, acting on that, and ultimately coming to to know God. So I'm not saying that that is prophecy, but what I am saying is that if we can sort of um, take prophecy apart 
it has to start with God speaking to us. So in that example, God spoke to this man through something he saw on TV. I suppose we can all think of examples where God has spoken to us. And once we get into that mindset, the idea that we could prophesy, I think, becomes a little easier. For me, I remember God communicating with me a few times uh, throughout my life, other than through... I mean, the Bible clearly is the way God speaks to us, but there are other ways too. And I can remember God speaking to me a few different ways throughout my life. Probably the most significant time was in my early 20s. I'd, I'd committed my life to God, I'd started going to a church, and I ended up going to an evening Bible study class, which they ran. And uh, after a while, a, a girl started coming to this Bible study class with some of her friends. And um, I very, very much liked this girl. And... Um, and uh, I liked her to the extent that I couldn't actually speak to her. Um, but eventually I plucked up the courage and uh, asked, her, asked her to go out with me. And to my utter delight, she said, yes, I was over the moon, absolutely over the moon. But weirdly, I am warming to my theme, by the way, about God speaking to me. Weirdly, um, I almost immediately started feeling this is a girl I, sh- I would marry. And that kind of freaked me out because I'd only known her for a, you know, we'd known each other for just a few weeks, a couple of months before I asked her out. And then within just a couple of months of going out with her, I started feeling this quite strong sense that this would be the girl I I want to marry, I will marry. And because I didn't know her very well, I had this kind of tension. But I couldn't marry someone I don't know very well, but I really want to marry her. How's that going to work? I was going down to visit my parents uh, for a weekend after I'd been going out with her for about five months. And um, I was really praying. I was walking from the station to my parents' house, really, really praying, God, just help me know what to do. And Lord, if you think I should speak to my parents about it, then please tell me. Because, you know, I, I wouldn't mind asking their opinion, but it just felt a bit odd to come to their... They'd met, they'd met her, and they re, I knew they liked her, but like a few months in, for me to say, do you think I should propose to her? I just wasn't sure how that conversation would go. And uh, I was literally walking along the street, praying, and I can remember it very clearly. And um, I looked up, and par- I was passing an advert for a, a big people carrier type car, and in huge letters it said, quick, start a family. <laughs> and I, I laughed, I literally laughed to myself. I, I, I did, I carried on praying. I said, Lord, I really hope that is from you, but um, I do still feel really unsure because none of my friends are, are, are anywhere near getting married. People at work, they're not engaged. You know, we're both quite young and it's just not what people are doing. And as I come around a corner, <laughs> look up again, another advert, don't follow the crowd. And it was really amazing, really, really amazing. So I really felt quite excited. I knew that God was speaking to me. I shared it with my parents. They, they, they thought it was a very good idea. Um, and I, I just to clarify, I'm not saying I got married because of an advert I saw on the, on the wall. But it was that definite prompting from God that enabled me to chat to my parents, and it really sort of got the ball rolling, I suppose. And 22 years later, I really do think that God spoke to me on that evening. I had a lot of learning to do, and getting married sooner rather than later was a very, very good thing for me. I had to learn not least not to climb on pyramids or other public buildings, but um, (laughs) it's been brilliant. And God really spoke to me. I'm so thankful to him for doing that. So I think if we take this all together, we're saying that prophecy starts with God speaking to us. And I think we we can all get that. That doesn't sound so alien. God does speak to us. We know he does. So in my mind, there are sort of three elements to prophecy. There's the initial part where God input something to our minds. That could be through dreams or visions, through thoughts, pictures, things around us. 
I mean, in Joseph's case, God gave him the thoughts that enabled him to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. In fact, I would say it wasn't so much that Joseph became an expert in analyzing the dream. God clearly told him what was going to happen in the future. And he was able to say to Pharaoh, you dreamt that because there's going to be seven years of famine, seven years of plenty. And God had given Joseph that, that thought, if you like, supernaturally. Secondly, then, the second part would be some kind of output from our minds. So God put something in our minds through a variety of means. We then do something with that and turn it into an output. Either something we think, if it's, if it's for us, or something we speak to someone, if it's for someone else. So then thirdly would be the outcome of the thought process that God has initiated in our minds. And that outcome might be directed to ourselves, in, in my example, where that was for me, getting married to Rachel, uh, or, or someone else. It might be for the church. You know, we have a microphone at the front here. From time to time, people bring something that's from God to us, and that's really encouraging. Or it could be for an individual in the church, or it could even be for someone else, maybe someone at work, or, or a complete stranger that God would direct you towards. And that outcome might produce uh, some knowledge. You might impart some wisdom to a situation, uh, an encouragement to persevere, maybe even some actual advice as to what you should do is the following, like Joseph did with, with Pharaoh. Or maybe some sort of future prediction, which is classically what we think of when we say prophecy. But it doesn't always have to be a prediction about the future. The important thing is that God has told us something, and we are able to then decide what to do with that, whether it's to ourselves or to other people. And when it's to other people, that's what we call prophecy. It's not scary. It's just something God says we should earnestly desire. So let's continue to ask God to speak to us, because prophecy starts with God speaking to us. And prophecy is a gift. We don't earn it, just as we don't earn any of God's blessings. And if you've asked God for this gift in the past, it might be that you could already prophesy if you had the faith to kind of go for it. I mean, one example that, that has struck me over the years, uh, once I was asking God for the gift of prophecy, was I would feel in a meeting I, was, I would like to pray about something. But the prayer that I could sort of feel coming into my mind was, was just sort of telling God, what, what he is. Now, that, there's a place for that, for sure. But what I found over, the, over time is that if I, instead of starting, oh, Lord, thank you that uh, you became a man, you know what it is to be one of us, you died for our sins so that we can relate to you, amen. If, if I take that same thought and start it, I think God wants to remind us that he became a man. He knows what it is to be human. He died for our sins so that we can relate to him. That can often be a prophecy that's come into your mind, but you're, you're so unaccustomed to thinking of yourself as someone who prophesies that you assume it's something God wants you to pray. And I'm not saying it's always the case, but it's just something worth, worth bearing in mind. Sometimes we only hear the first few words, and we just need to have faith to start. What's the worst that can happen? People are going to look at you. So what? How do you think I feel? <laughs> I would really encourage you, just go for it. If you feel that God's stirring you in some way, do act on it. The Bible is the best thing in the world. We love the Bible. It's so coherent and true. It just rings with truth. But when God brings something through a brother or a sister, it's really exciting. Someone that you know, and now God has spoken to you through that person. It's lovely. It works on so many levels. So just a couple of final points on prophecy. Let's ask God during the week what he might want us to bring on a Sunday. Don't be afraid to write things down and maybe even share them with, with, with a friend, someone that you trust, to see if you know, that is 
something they believe God would want you to bring as well. Writing it down in advance doesn't detract from the authenticity of the prophecy, not at all. There are loads of examples in the Old Testament where God has spoken to a prophet. Jeremiah, on one occasion, is asked to come up with an answer to a difficult problem. And he says, I'll go and talk to God about it. Ten days later, he comes back and says, I've spoken to God. Ten days have passed. This is the answer. So it doesn't have to be a spontaneous, thus says the Lord, for it to count as a prophecy. And again, just to bear in mind, Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about people prophesying, uh, doing it for our upbuilding, for our encouragement. So prophecy, prophecy a genuine, genuine prophecy, is going to be upbuilding and encouraging. Even if it might be pointing out things that could be uncomfortable, ultimately it's going to bring an encouragement or an upbuilding. And if we are believing that God speaks to us today, which we do, then of course we'll need to carefully consider any prophecy we hear or that we feel that God is giving to us. And in fact, again, the Apostle Paul says that after a prophet speaks, the other should weigh what is said. So look, we're told to earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. What might that actually look like? And there's another helpful passage in this book. So this is by this man, Mark Stibby, who, from what I can read, has really uh, learnt a lot about prophecy. And as I said earlier, there are some fantastic examples of quite mind-blowing sort of prophecies in here. But here he's just being very helpful and talking about the way it sort of started for him. Several years ago, he says, I realized there was so much more I could experience in the area of prophecy. I was receiving occasional dreams or visions or impressions, but I knew that there was a greater level of authority and accuracy out there. So I started praying every day on the basis of the promise of Jesus in Matthew 7.11. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And what this prophecy teaches me, what this promise teaches me, is that God is a perfect father who loves giving good gifts to those who go on asking him. And prophecy is a really good gift. Used responsibly, it brings comfort to believers and conviction to unbelievers. And that sounds like something that every believer needs. So I would recommend that book. I found it very helpful. Let's practice prophecy at Life Group. Again, that's a very safe environment in which to say, I think that God is saying this to me, and then just say it and ask people to, to pray about it, to give you feedback. How did they feel when you gave it to them? It's something we learn, like everything else with God. We learn as we go on. So we said that Joseph has become extremely good at combining his gifts, the supernatural and the natural. So in terms of his natural gifts... Again, he's come a long way since we first met him as a teenager. Now he can converse with the king, with Pharaoh. And having interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he can now straight away give Pharaoh a strategic solution to the problem that Pharaoh is now facing. And again, the Apostle Paul gives a list of, if you like, natural gifts in the New Testament. It's not just supernatural gifts that God gives us. And Paul's list of natural gifts includes things like teaching, serving, administration, hospitality, encouragement, generosity. These are gifts that God gives us. And clearly administration was an area in which Joseph excelled. He'd been able to practice that, if you like, when in previous weeks we looked at him being head of Potiphar's household. So he was head of the household of the governor of the guard, a very important military person, and Joseph was running that entire household. So God there was helping him practice his gift of administration so that now he's got the chance to help Pharaoh on a, on a sort of nationwide level. He can bring that 
super gift of administration to bear to rescue Egypt from those seven years of famine which are coming. And we should be asking God for more of these natural gifts ourselves so that we can benefit those around us, our friends, family, schools, people we know at college or in the workplace. I mean, one example for us, I suppose, each time we, we, when we've had our, our children, newborn children, the church has kind of rallied around and brings us food at meals. And I know that probably a number of you have, have found that when you've had a, a little baby. It's so helpful having food prepared for you as you sort of readjust to, to new additions to your family. And that's so generous, and it's really, really helpful. It's one of the things that I know Rachel has told me several times. Friends of hers have commented how amazing it must be to belong to a, a, a community, you know, a church, where you've had a newborn baby and there's meals just coming, you know, regular clockwork. It's been wonderful. So thank you if any of you in this room did contribute to that. So thank you, thank you very much. And um, again, just thinking about God's gifts to us, whether they be supernatural or natural, it's entirely God doing it. We must never rely on our own strength. And I do say this quite seriously. Over the years, I've spoken to many Christians um, who have ended up striving to, to try and do something for God, try and be something for God. And that way often results in, uh, in burnout. You, you end up feeling, this is just not for me. This is not the kind of peace and joy that I see in the pages of the New Testament. So it's very, very important that we deliberately avoid trying harder. That's not the answer. We're praying harder, that's a good one, but not trying harder. God is looking for people who continually rely on him. And if God gives us these gifts, then they're not given to us as rewards. They are gifts. But equally, as I said right at the beginning, when Paul writes to Timothy about fanning into flame the gift that God has given him, God gives us the gift, but we have a certain responsibility to fan it into flames. I remember when I was young, my parents had a big open fire, uh, log-burning fire. And if you left it unattended for any period of time, the flames would die down and it would become embers. But it wouldn't take too long blowing on it and fanning it for those flames to reappear. And that's exactly what Paul's saying we need to do. We're given a gift or gifts by God, but we need to fan them into flames. And so acting on the gift you've asked for is a very good way to fan it into flames. Practicing prophecy in life group is a very good way of fanning that gift into flames. Spend time with God. Ask him for these gifts and believe that he's given them to you. And you'll only know you've received them if you start trying to use them. So there's an element of faith there. You need to ask him, believe that you've received the gift, and then start using it. So we've seen that Joseph, if we just flick on a slide, we've seen that Joseph now recognizes where his gifts come from. And then we looked at how good he's become at combining his supernatural gift with his natural gifts. And then the third thing that we said at the beginning was he now knows what his gifts are for. There's, there's a sense of purpose, a sense of direction that he can now bring through the gifts that God has given him. And God gives his people gifts. God gives us gifts. And we need to learn how to use them. It really is quite amazing that God chooses to use us to further his plans. Not only to include us in those plans, but actually to use us through our gifts and our personalities, the things that he's given us. And in this passage, we see Joseph being positioned now to save Egypt from starvation. So there's a real sense in which he's there at the right time in God's plan to bring salvation to a large number of people in that nation. So what are your gifts? What are my gifts? What are our skills? What does it mean for us right here, right now? 
God's plans for the world are worked out through us, through our personalities and our gifts. So what are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? Where is God at work? And where can you partner with him through the things that you enjoy doing? This isn't a heavy thing. This is about what do you think your gifts are? What do you enjoy spending your time doing? And how can you align those with God's plans? Jesus gives us some very clear guidance about how we should be looking out for the needs of others, for example. So there are many ways in which we can use our gifts for God. But one time when Jesus is talking about using our gifts, he goes straight on to talk about the sorts of things that he would expect us to be doing. If we can just flick forward one slide. Uh, From Matthew, uh, this is in Matthew chapter 15, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. They'll answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And the king will answer them, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So Kingston, like Kingston, where we live, Kingston is a relatively well-off borough. And very often people appreciate time and care as well as or instead of financial assistance. But there are times when people in Kingston become homeless, for example. And that's an example where they're really going to need people around them to look after their, their material needs, the food, the drink, being welcomed as strangers, just as Jesus talked about there. And I think as an individual, it can be quite difficult to know how best to serve people in that situation. Partly they're somewhat hidden from us, but even when you do see someone on the streets, you're never quite sure what the best thing to do for that person really is. And something that the church here has been involved with uh, is the Joel Project. This is a project run by another church in Kingston called St. Peter's in Norberton. And a few of us from time to time have helped out with their homeless shelter. And just very briefly, just to kind of give you a teaser, what they've done is they've set up... Uh, a large building with several bedrooms and living areas in it. And people who find themselves temporarily homeless in Kingston can stay there for for a long time if necessary. And they get fed, and they get company, and they get Christians who chat to them. They get all sorts of things until they can get themselves back on their feet. They also get help to do that. So there are counsellors, there there are advisors that come in and help them to sort of sort out their finances and and other things, help them with job interviews and so on. Um, And we've had a number of us involved in that project for a few years now. What it tends to mean is um, doing a a supper shift or doing an overnight shift or doing a breakfast shift. So they're there in the evenings. During the day, they're out looking for, for work and so on. But in the evenings... They'll come back to the shelter. It's actually a really nice place. And all they need is some volunteers who can help cook the evening meal from about 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock. And then another little group of volunteers who will stay over, just two or three people to do that. You sleep there. And then from, I think, about 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock in the morning, there's another group needed to do the breakfasts. And they have it on, do it on a rotor basis. And uh, it's not very difficult to do. I've only done it once, but it's something I really want to get more into. And I was surprised at how easy it was. It's a really nice environment there. So I think, is Tim here? Just to, Yes. If, can you see Tim at the back waving his hand? 
If that's something you think could be useful for you, please do speak to Tim after. He's sort of coordinating um, the people at King's Church who are involved with that, or speak to me afterwards. But I would really encourage you, if you're thinking, you know, how can I serve people in the borough in the way that I know Jesus, Jesus has told us to, I would suggest that that's a very easy way to start. And I think the other thing that's worth thinking about is the point at which Pharaoh was told by his chief cupbearer, there's this guy in prison who can interpret dreams. Pharaoh calls him immediately. I mean, Joseph scarcely has time to shave and, and, and change his clothes. It's an immediate response. So what do we have that people might want to know about? Right? We know about salvation. We know about God. We know God. We have the words of eternal life. and We have the knowledge of God. And we are the answer to God's plans for other people. As well as God having plans for us, that's something you know, we're often quite keen to know about. What is God's plan for me? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's kind of an exciting verse. But actually, we are often, probably always, the answer to other people's plan, you know, God's plans for other people as well. So we do have something that people need to know about. So get out there. Join clubs. Find out what you like doing, what hobbies you're enjoying, and then try and do those with other people. And that way, who knows, you might have an opportunity to combine that natural gift or, or skill that you've got with some supernatural gift that God might give you. Conversations are very easy to uh, move into when you're actually doing something that you have in common with other people. And that book I've mentioned a few times now, Prophetic Evangelism, um, as the title implies, is all about hearing from God and then speaking to those around us that we meet. So could I, could I have the band up and join me here? Just in closing, we've been saying that God gives his people gifts and that we need to learn how to use them. And we've seen how Joseph has, has done exactly that. But I do want to emphasize that God's way is not like the world's way. We need to relax and stay with Jesus, not strive to gain his approval. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I love that. I'm going to read that again. Jesus said, Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And the first gift that Jesus wants to give us is eternal life. Eternal life. And the second gift, following hot on the heels of eternal life, is his Holy Spirit, who helps us and makes Jesus known to us. If you don't know Jesus, then do come and talk to me afterwards. I'm sure you'll have all sorts of questions, and I'd love to talk to you about those. And if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, then do come and talk to me afterwards, or, or get prayer. There'll be people down at the front here who can pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It makes all the difference having Jesus with you in that way. And if you haven't been filled with the Spirit recently, come down and be prayed for. We're told to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a, not a one-off experience. And of course, do come and get prayer for gifts. If while I've been speaking, you've thought, gosh, that is really a gift that I would, I would like to have. There's nothing stopping you from asking. Once the prayer team are down here, come and ask them to pray for you. I want to receive the gift of whatever it is you feel God is calling you to, to receive. Thank you.